0: Hello and welcome to Pound the Rock, an NBA podcast by The Score. I'm your host, William Liu. I'm joined in studio by fellow co-host, Joe Wolfond. What up? And uh, we'll eventually be joined by the other co-host, Jessica Osharo. We're going to discuss the launching of The Score's X-Series, first episode featuring Lance Stevenson and Cash. Um taking a tour through Brooklyn and talking about everything from his experiences with the Lakers uh, and also just, you know, his comical history of teasing LeBron and now that he's his sidekick, how that's going to work. But um, the first half of the podcast, me and Wolf are going to focus on the upcoming season and look at some breakout players and also some regression candidates. Let's start here. All right. Let's start with the positives. Who are some players that you feel are going to have a big step in their game um, for the upcoming season?
1: The first guy I look to is Miles Turner, um, just because I think people sometimes forget how young he is. Like He's still 21, and I feel like a lot of the shine came off of him last year because so many people really expected him to make that leap, and it didn't quite happen. Um, but he still has such great raw tools, and you know if you're looking at what, what you want out of a modern big— he pretty much brings it all to the table, right? Like, he is mobile, he can protect the rim, like, he can step out and shoot the three, he can pick and pop. Um, He basically does everything that you would ask of a big man in the pace and space era. He just hasn't quite put it all together, and like, the defensive instincts haven't quite been there. I think he's, like, a little bit too overeager sometimes going for blocks. Uh, He tends to get boxed under the rim, I think, sometimes and get pushed around a little bit, but, like, I know it's off season, so muscle watch is a thing and like <laughs> obviously you don't want to read too much into uh, the kind of physical changes the players make but um, Miles Turner does look like he has transformed his body sort of akin to what Oladipo did last year and mm-hmm. I don't know if they're on the same regimen or what but we oh, saw Oh they're working on <laughs> the same trainer <laughs> So there you go and, yeah. and you know he's talked about changing his diet as well um, and we saw how that worked out for Oladipo and I think for players like that, you know, like Oladipo and like Turner who do have the raw tools, um, I I think an offseason like that where you commit to kind of transforming your body and like for Turner, I think there are some specific areas where that could really help him out and one is just kind of getting bodied down low a little bit. He hasn't been a great rebounder and, you know, as long as he can do that without compromising uh, his mobility, his speed, um, and his ability to get up as fast as he does, I feel like... Um, he has a potential to like take a meaningful step forward and whether or not that's reflected in his raw numbers or just you know the fact that he's a more impactful defender than he's been the last couple of years i think you know he's going to be a really important part of i mean i would expect him to anyway i would I'd expect him to be an important part of the pacers short and long term future but they i mean they might have a bit of a logjam at center. Like, Mm -hmm. they signed Kylo Quinn, and I think, you know, Turner and Sabonis are both probably fives. So that might make things a little bit tricky. But he's also got a lot to play for because I don't think they're going to come to terms on an extension this summer. So he's basically going to be in a contract year. And I think uh, he's going to have every incentive to to have a big season, and
0: I I expect him to. Yeah, I mean, I love Turner's game. And and the fact that he's still 22 is... um pretty wild to me I, I the only thing my concern with him is that like you know he came out of the blocks really good like 10 points a game 5.5 5 rebounds a, a block and a half as a rookie and as a 19 year old was really impressive he definitely showcased um, his shooting stroke and like I think the early comparisons were to LaMarcus Aldridge and I don't know I've never really saw LaMarcus Aldridge as that shot blocking type so it felt like right. LaMarcus plus the shot blocking which was like a guaranteed all-star and things like that and I thought he took took a step forward in the second year, but then just last year he wasn't he wasn't bad by any means. Like he was still you know thirty six percent from three, that was a career high. Um, you know he played fewer minutes, but I thought he just wasn't playing as much around the basket. I think that a large a large part of that just came from you know accommodating Oladipo to the starting lineup. He's more of a slasher than Paul George ever was, um, and also just the Sabonis thing. I think the Sabonis thing is is a little bit awkward. Like they're gonna have to split minutes. Both of them are prospects. Sabonis came off the bench last year um, for significant minutes. But, you know, like, realistically, those two aren't going to be the best tandem just because they do a lot of similar things. Um, I, I guess my only concern with with, uh, with Turner is just, like, what is this specific role moving forward just because because um, if he's going to occupy the same role, it's a little bit harder to see him breaking out because he's already doing a lot of the stuff that you would expect him to do. Like, most people don't know that he shot 48% from the mid-range area last year, which is a phenomenal number, right? And I think that's where the LaMarcus stuff comes into um, uh, to play. But, I mean, he's not going to shoot better than 48%, and so I I don't really see the specific area in which he can break out unless, like, the front court is a little bit less cluttered.
1: Well, I think he's obviously proven that he can be a good pick-and-pop guy. And realistically, him and Oladipo playing a two-man game should be really, really solid, right? Like, the threat of Oladipo driving to the basket... Uh, coupled with the threat of Turner popping to the three-point line, I think should make that a really potent two-man combination. But I think part of the issue is that Turner doesn't really roll. And like given right. his athletic ability, like he should be a good dive man as well. Like He should be able to offer basically uh, both of those threats, the mm-hmm. threat of rolling to the basket and the threat of popping to three. But like he just doesn't really roll hard to the rim. And I feel like that's something that he can and should add to his arsenal. And maybe changing his physical profile a bit will help. Um, but, you know, the Pacers took a lot of mid-range shots last year. They shot them at possibly an unsustainably high rate. So I do think that they are going to have to evolve a little bit this season. Mm-hmm. And I I do think it's a little bit awkward with him and Sabonis, but I like it in a way because they're such different players. right? And what Sabonis does is so different. You know, he doesn't really pop, and he's not really a catch-and-shoot guy, but he is a guy who can catch the ball in the short roll and, like, make a play in four-on-three. Yeah. He's a much better passer than Miles Turner. Definitely. Um, He's got really nice hands. And, you know, Turner is just a finisher, basically. Like, whether he's catching the ball and dunking it or catching it and shooting a jumper, uh, he's not really a guy who's going to go and, like, make that next play. And so maybe that's somewhere where his game can grow a little bit, right? Like, he can be a little bit more of a playmaker and a guy who can keep a play moving rather than a guy who's just expected to finish
0: yeah for sure look I, I like turner's game a lot and i think he's gonna be a real solid player for a really long time um i think it also hurts him just a little bit that he's playing with that he's young because they do have to invert the roles a little bit because that is not quite um a three-point shooter um he has sort of shot a lot of threes in the past but has never been really good at it and so they need turner who's a better shooter to space the floor a little bit but um i think he's gonna be really solid. one guy i um i i'm gonna keep my eye on this year is uh Buddy Heald in Whew. Sacramento, him and his big teeth. I mean, um, he's already, like, look, he's. it's hard to say he's going to break up because he's already 24 years old. He's going to turn 25, um, you know, in around January. Like, he's, um, you know, he's not necessarily the sexiest prospect. And I think that's just because his career got off to a weird start where he got traded, you know, in his rookie year. Um, As part of that DeMarcus Cousins deal. But I think it really does overlook the fact that ever since he's been in Sacramento, he's been a really solid player. Last year, 13 points a game, uh, you know, four rebounds, two assists, shot 43% from deep on five attempts per game. Obviously, that was the biggest thing um, that was in his game coming into the NBA. Like, we knew that, you know, one who's at Oklahoma, he could really shoot. And, um, you know, he definitely proved that in the NBA level. And these are not easy threes. Like, he's creating a lot of these off the dribble by himself. He Can go left, you can pull up going left, you can pull up going right. Um, and you know, if he can ever really consistently get to the point where the threat of his drive game could really um improve, um, I think he could take like a Bradley Beal type of trajectory. The thing with that is just that Bradley Beal's way younger, and uh, he's he started doing it way younger. I think they're about the same age, even though Bradley Beal's been in the league like five, six years now. Um, but I don't know, buddy, Hill looks great. And, look, I, I don't want to buy into, you know, off-season training, um, you know, that hype. Obviously, it's let a lot of people down Just see Carmelo and Anthony. But, I don't know, buddy, Hill looked look really, really good at that uh, UCLA run. And, um, I don't know, he's just skilled, man. He really is skilled. And he stays healthy. He's not a great defender, so he's not going to hurt himself that way. And he just gives you buckets. Like, I could really see him, you know, breaking out, you know, playing 30 minutes a game, averaging 18 points a game, you know. Buddy Heald's a good player. I will say, like, I do think there's been... He's been unfairly maligned
1: because the Kings traded Boogie for him, and Vivek comes out with that comment, like, he thinks Healed has Steph Curry potential, and, like, that's just sort of uh. stuck with him. And obviously, you know, when, when you're given that standard to live up to, like, you're, you're going to come out looking uh, unfavorable, but... My concern with him is, like, he just hasn't shown any playmaking chops whatsoever. Like, he's not a great ball handler. He doesn't really pass that well. And the shooting off the dribble is really nice. But, you know, if you want to compare him to Bradley Beal, I just feel like even at this stage of their careers, um, you know, Beal, when he was going into, say, his third year, and also, like you mentioned, being younger, I feel like he'd already showcased a much more well-rounded game than what we've seen from Heald so far. Mm -hmm. And... (sighs) This is, again, unfair of me to say, but I just don't have a ton of faith in players developing in that king system because yeah. it's been such a black hole for so long. Like, who is the last, you know, homegrown Kings player? I mean, I guess there is
0: Boogie, but like... Tyreek, baby. Tyreek no. Tyreek had his best season as a rookie and just kept declining. So that's not development. That's the opposite of development. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> um, I, I, I don't know, man. It's... It's hard to
1: say. Like I think there is the outline mm-hmm. of a of a really competent rotation player there, but like as far as taking a leap into um you know, being even like a even like an average starter, yeah. I don't know that I necessarily see that in healed future just because like you said, like the defense isn't really there and the offensive game is pretty much limited to um the way he shoots the ball which is obviously a very valuable skill but you know you need to surround that with other skills as well and given the fact that he already is in his mid-20s um you know i don't know how much faith i
0: have in his ability to suddenly put it all together but um i don't know we'll see all right let me make the let me make the case for buddy all right so first off i think the point about him not being able to develop with the Kings is very valid um the Kings have a very confusing roster moving forward like they got Bogdanovich who they like at point guard they got Darren Fox who they really like at point guard um they reacquired Ben McLemore for some reason which I just for the life of me I mean I guess he also looked really good at the UCLA run in all fairness but come on man um and I then, mean, maybe they reacquired
1: Ben McLemore because they didn't want anybody to be, like, challenging Buddy Hield for uh, wow. starters
0: minutes. Okay, well, he definitely won't be challenged by Ben McLemore. Um, but, I mean, like, just you look up and down that roster. Like, Willie Colley-Stein thinks he's a scorer. Scout uh, Labissiere, who al- already got marginalized a lot in the in the scheme of things last year, he thinks he's a scorer. Marvin Bagley is purely a scorer. Like, this is a team where everyone's going to be really desperate for shots. And so it's not going to be really con- you know conducive or cohesive to a lot of development but i just think like he was a good player like he he definitely would i mean this applies almost every single player but he would really play a lot better on a better team um but in terms of his like the like the various aspects of the game i think he does have a little bit more than just a jump shot like obviously that's where he's going to do most of his damage but you know he can like put it on the floor just like a little bit and he's got an in-between game like if you know from mid-range he was 44 percent last season that's real solid he even he even shot 63 percent. you know uh, in the restricted area which is for a guy who's not that athletic not so bad and he's got mm. decent size i mean I don't know. I just think that out of does all those... Did he get
1: to the free throw line at all? Like, what was no, his free throw rate
0: last year? He averaged one a game. It's okay. cool. Um, yeah, he got a little bit of that Terrence Ross syndrome. But, like, you know, he's a solid player. In terms of as a modern shooting guard, I feel like he does a lot of what you need him to oh, do. Oh, look, I admire your
1: optimism, man. I, I hope it comes to fruition because, like, I, I I would love to see it happen for him. Like, I have been a fan of his game, and, like, he seems like a good kid, so... Uh, I hope you're right, and, and I would love for something good to happen for the Kings franchise. I really would, as much as we dump on them. Like, yeah. I would love for that franchise to turn things around uh, because it's just been so long in the wilderness, and I, I feel like they deserve <laughs> for something good to happen to them for once. But um, It's not happening this year. You're right. Yeah. Um,
0: who else did you have on your list in terms of breakout players?
1: Um, I had Dennis Smith, who I feel like... You know, for all the buzz about him as a prospect coming into last season, he was kind of disappointing, and and just like looked a little bit lost. I think a lot of the time, but I think moving off of the ball is going to really help him. Like having Doncic there presumably to be a primary ball handler, Mm -hmm. um, I feel like Smith can maybe do a little bit more damage as a guy who's like attacking off the catch. Like he's so explosive, uh, and just like has incredible athleticism, a really good first step, and. I, I think a jumper that should play off the ball as well. So like him not having to be a primary creator, I feel like is was going to help him mm-hmm. I, the defense. I don't know if it's ever really going to get to the level where he's even average, but um, like he ha- he has the physical tools. So I think he's the kind of guy who in year two, we could see take a pretty significant leap.
0: Yeah. I mean, the guy that he gets compared to a lot is like Westbrook just based on like the way they play. And, um again expecting anyone to be Westbrook is is just, you know setting people up to fail but um I mean Dennis Smith, I thought he had an okay rookie season I think we just have like really high standards for rookies right like rookies never come into the the league like completely polished and they have everything in their game like he averaged 15 points a game last year and put up you know five assists he didn't shoot well at all like he 39% from the field and 31% from 3 and yeah, the jumper is definitely going to need to get there in order for you know him to unlock you know most of the aspects of his game. But he showed a lot, in my opinion. He showed a lot. I liked his aggression a lot like, in terms of just like he's willing to go in there and score. He I think he also proved that, you know, despite being six foot three, he does have that like big wingspan and big hops. You know, like another guy he gets compared to is Steve Francis. You know, he has a little bit of that in his game as well. And so. Um, I think he's proven that he can score. It's just at this point, you know, it's about in your second year, like, finding out specific – like, identifying better scenarios in which you can score in, right? And I think with with, with Dennis Smith, like, he can definitely score. He just needs to basically um, take better shots, which last year he wasn't doing as much of. And, you know, quite honestly, I feel like he had a bit of a turnover problem. He really did throw a lot of really bad passes. Um, so if he can sort of just refine those two areas of his game, I think we're going to think about him uh, a lot better than what we think about him right now. And uh, even right now, I think people still have a pretty, you know, high outlook on him. Yeah. I just think
1: he was a little bit
0: overexposed last season and maybe that was by
1: design. You know, they threw him in there. They knew they weren't going to be great. Um, and they were, you know, trying to get him up to speed as fast as they possibly could get him reps. Mm -hmm. And I, I, you know, I think they probably could have expected that there was going to be some bumps in the road. Um, and a lot of the time, it wasn't pretty. But like he, he probably had the ball in his hands a little bit too often. And uh, you know, I think playing off the ball a little bit more, having a little bit of that pressure taken off of him is gonna do wonders for his game. So I'm interested to see, you know, what he, you know, where he can evolve uh, in year two. And like, I'm just interested to watch that Mavs team in general. I think like they could be really interesting. I don't think they're gonna be especially good, mm-hmm. but. I think they have a lot of intriguing pieces and I'm I'm just curious to see how it all fits together because, again, like, you know, Smith was a guy who was pretty ball-dominant last year. Harrison Barnes can be kind of ball-dominant. You know, he's not really a playmaker either. Like, he tends to take the air to the ball a little bit. Mm -hmm. Um, He likes to go into the post. So, I don't know, you know, how is that system going to change with Doncic in there? Like, how is it all going to fit around Dirk? Um, I think, like having DeAndre there, too. I don't know. It's just kind of a weird team that I can't even really
0: visualize right now. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm just curious to see what they look like. Yeah, for sure. Um, and then to wrap up our breakout players list, I'm going to go with a guy I know both of us like, and I know Cash likes him, too. Pascal Siakam um, of the Toronto Raptors. Uh, the thing I think you need to know about Pascal is, like, despite the fact that he's 24 years old, like he's still growing into his game a ton because he only picked up the sport of basketball like six years ago Um, and we've already seen him take such a big leap between his first year and his second year and even not even just between his first second year just like within his sophomore season he took so many steps moving forward like when he came in as a rookie all he did was run out in transition and he's like incredibly fast got a crazy motor Um, But that's pretty much all he did. He got out in transition and he finished and, you know, occasionally hit a baseline jumper. In his second season, he started showing a lot more um, with the Raptors' second unit. Defensively, just a phenomenal defender. Um, You know, multi-positional guards. Everyone from... Okay, I don't want to say he guards Kevin Durant. But, like, you know, he can guard up a position and and guard, you know, power forwards. And he can also guard anyone down to a point guard. We saw him guard john wall very effectively in the first round of the playoffs last season for the raptors and um, so he definitely has that in his game but also he's just like turned into this very strange herky-jerky point forward where he can handle the ball he doesn't just like run action out of the post like a lot of power forwards he's able to turn the corner use his hand to get to the rim and he's a pretty dynamic dynamic finisher like he's very athletic but he also sort of understands how to use you know euro steps to get open he can finish with either hand um and he's just generally speaking you you add those skills and you put on the top of the fact that he still has an incredible motor where he's going to beat your team down the floor in transition all the time um and he's going to hustle for blocks and, and rebounds he's got good instincts for that like there's the makings of a really good player there, even though he might not ever average like more than twelve points a game in his career. But uh, Pascal's a really important player, and we even saw last season he's closed a lot of games for the Raptors when uh, Serge Ibaka was um, taking his back-to-back dumps. When uh, <laughs> yeah, Serge Ibaka just wasn't good off back-to-backs.
1: Yeah, I'm actually one of the things I'm really interested to see is whether. Siakam ends up taking That starting power forward spot Whether mm-hmm. it's at the start Of the season Or by the end of the season right. uh, Because I think by the end Of last season He was probably More important To the Raptors Than Ibaka was But Yeah it, It's tricky Because You know With uh, JV at center You kind of need Ibaka to space the floor Mm-hmm and they don't really have any other power forwards who can stretch it out like Ibaka can. So, it's
0: definitely not Pascal who I think he went a whole month without hitting a
1: three. That's the thing, right? That's the thing that's really missing from his game right now and I don't know whether the the three-point shooting is ever going to get there, but like if it did, that would unlock so much for him because as it is, defenses don't pay any attention to him. Um and they will sag off of him, like, 15 or 20 feet. And to Siakam's credit, like, he tended to uh, use those situations to advantage sometime, to his advantage sometimes. Like, guys would sag off of him, and he would gather ahead of steam and drive right at them and right. do that little spin move that he did and finish over them anyway. And, that like, spin move is
0: deadly. You yeah. never see it coming because he's so quick. Well, I do wonder
1: now if, like, the book is going to be out on him and if he's going to have less success with that spin move than he did last year. But, okay. um My point being, like, eventually he's going to have to make defenses pay for ignoring him, right? Like, he's. Yeah, that's true. He's going to have to develop some semblance of a three point shot, I think. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting because the byproduct of his lack of a jump shot last year was that they ended up having to put the ball in his hands more often. Right. uh, And kind of use him as a de facto. Point forward, Mm -hmm. and it worked wonders for his game. You know, like he basically by necessity had to develop those ball handling and playmaking skills. Yeah, Uh, he had to develop a face up game, and you know I think it, it unlocked a whole lot of stuff for the Raptors offense. Like you know his ability to kind of grab and go, push the ball up the floor. Right. Um, his interior passing ability. Like he grew in so many meaningful ways. Uh, and I think now what everyone's going to kind of be looking to see is whether that jump shot comes along at all, because that could potentially nudge him up into like borderline all-star territory. Maybe not this year, but, um, he, he has that kind of ability, especially when you, you know, look at what he has been able to do with the offensive end, as far as his growth. And then what he can do defensively, like his ability to switch basically across at least four positions, like five might be a bridge too far because he's a bit thin. He's slight. yeah, Yeah. Um, So, you know, matching him up against centers is maybe a losing proposition, but certainly like one to four, he can capably handle pretty much anybody. And, you know, if, again, if that jump shot comes along, I think you're looking at a two-way menace. So uh, I like that pick a lot. And, again, I think, you know, the most interesting thing to me outside of uh, whether that jump shot does come along is is whether he remains blocked by Ibaka or whether by the end of the season he's a starter.
0: Yeah, for sure. And... Again, I mean, we're going to be citing this a lot, I guess, but just Pascal has looked really impressive at the UCLA runs. Um, <laughs> but, no, like, it's just in general, he's a really hardworking guy. And I think all the, all four guys we mentioned on this list, you know, Miles Turner, Dennis Smith Jr., Buddy Heald, and Pascal, like, they're all really hardworking players that are serious about the craft and, you know, that we've seen in the off season, like these guys in training videos and stuff like that. Um, and Pascal is definitely a guy who is going to work nonstop all the time and so you know those are the types of players that if they're going to break out those are the types of guys that break out um okay let's move on to the more negative side of the podcast and let's talk about players that are going to regress okay so um we have here four all-star level quality players that we are a little bit down on uh, i'll let you get the the hate started first um you're not that big on Lamarcus Aldridge for this upcoming season
1: I'm not not big on him. I just think he was so good last year, mm-hmm. and
0: arguably I, the best year of his career if you yeah, consider I think both I, sides of the floor.
1: I would say that it was like he he was really like the the engine that made that Spurs team go. Which um you know, if you look up and down that roster, the fact that they won 47 games with Kawhi Leonard playing nine of them uh, was pretty impressive. And and the reason for that was Lamarcus. Like he was one of the best offensive players in the league and he held his own at the defensive end. Mm-hmm. I just don't necessarily see that being repeatable. Like he, I think finished around the rim better than he ever had before. Um, he obviously, uh, was, you know, really solid shooting it from mid range as he always is. Um, and I think part of the reason I'm not so huge on his coming season is because I'm not certain about the DeRozan fit and how that's going to work. It's a bit, um, bit awkward. They're just going to cramp each other's space a little bit, I think. And I kind of have faith that they're going to figure it out as they go along, but I do think there's going to be a bit of an adjustment period, and I also think that that is going to require some sacrifice on Lamarcus's part. And he's we not,
0: He's not necessarily big on that.
1: We have seen how that's worked out before, and, like, yeah, it, it doesn't always make him the happiest camper. So, I don't know. I just see him taking a, a step back. Maybe it's only, like in the statistical categories and on the whole he's still more or less the same player mm-hmm. but I wouldn't expect to see him replicating the season he just had because it kind of came out of nowhere he seemed to be like trending in the wrong direction the couple right. seasons before that and then suddenly Kawhi's on the sidelines and Pop empowers LaMarcus to basically go and be LaMarcus again and mm-hmm men's fences with him and comes out in the media and he's like, it was my fault. I was overcoaching Lamarcus. I had to mm-hmm. let him do his thing. I had to feed him 800 post-ups a game. And you know, <laughs> <laughs> that sounds almost like they're passive shots. No, nah, look, like to Aldridge's <laughs> credit, true, he you know he made he made the most of them, uh, and it led to a great individual season for yeah. him. It didn't necessarily lead to like the healthiest Spurs offense, but frankly, they didn't have a ton of options there because they just don't have other guys who can initiate offense the way that Aldridge can. Mm-hmm. They didn't really have any other scorers on that team, so he had to carry that burden, and he did it extremely well. I just. Um, I don't think he, on an individual level, is going to be able to do the same thing.
0: Yeah, for sure. I think the the fit with DeRozan is going to be really interesting. Um, I I wrote about this like three weeks ago. Just like, I don't necessarily know if DeRozan um, adds that much to the Spurs in terms of just DeRozan's a very good player, right? Second team All NBA last year, made All NBA third team the year before that. Um, It's just the type of player DeRozan is. Like, he occupies a lot of the same space as Lamarcus. And look, Got a great coach, Greg Popovich, who, you know, he's as good as anybody when it comes to negotiating space with uh, post up players. I mean, he's pretty much had to do that his entire coaching career with Tim Duncan and eventually LaMarcus. Um, but it's going to be interesting how they sort of negotiate that, right? Because they don't have a ton of shooting around the two of them, right? Like LaMarcus he's not really a three-point shooter like he can pick and pop but he'll pop to the mid-range and he'll shoot a nice number from there but from deep Blaster, he shot 29 percent from the field and he's never made more than half a three per game um he's just 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 not in this game DeMar DeRozan is also not a three-point shooter Rudy Gay is also not a three-point shooter DeJounte Murray doesn't have a jumper like so there's a that's a lot of pieces in your starting lineup where you can't shoot and so It's gonna be a little bit difficult when sort of these two players are paired together. You know, say what you want about Danny Green, but at least he shoots, right? He can actually credibly shoot, people guard him out there. And also just in terms of the fit, like Lamarcus, he led the league in post ups last year. Are you going to be able to do that if Demar's going to be around, you know, the team? Like, it's easy to post up when your shooting guard is Danny Green and he's standing in the corner, spacing right. the floor. It's a little bit more difficult when your shooting guard is DeMar DeRozan. That guy is cheating off to help in the post, and if they kick it out to DeMar, he's going to shoot, like, 30%. Like, it's, it's not the greatest option. And so I think there's going to be a bit of a transition period. And I, the point about LaMarcus, like, not sacrificing, I think he's really – gotten better at that especially now that he's you know in his early 30s he's gotten you know he's prioritized the, the winning aspect and he's got all the money he's gonna make anyway um but it's still an issue for him like right? he doesn't really function well as a secondary star like he didn't really like it in Portland when he shared the spotlight with Dame really Dame took the spotlight from him but you know as a, as a breakout rookie and everything like that And then, you know, when he got to the Spurs, it was a bit awkward. He was like, oh, how come this is Kawhi's team? I thought this was my team, right? And so now all of a sudden it's going to be, well, how come it's DeRozan's team? And DeRozan's also a guy that for his whole career, I mean, I guess the whole issue really boils down to the fact that LaMarcus Aldridge is the DeMar DeRozan of shooting guards, (laughs) are power forwards, and DeMar DeRozan is the LaMarcus Aldridge um, of shooting guards. So, I mean... They're, they're going to have to learn to play off each other, right? And Yeah, which is going to be weird because you're occupying be the same area. Like, if you're running a pick-and-pop and both guys are trying to get the mid-range jumper, it, it doesn't look good. Right. Yeah, so. But I do think that pick-and-pop can be
1: effective. Sure. And I think you would like to see Aldridge, like, work more three-point attempts into his game. And, like, if they are pick-and-popping, yeah. maybe he's doing it, like, popping more to the
0: three-point line than to the mid-range. Do you think he has has the legs for that, though? Because, like, I mean, he's obviously a great shooter, right? But he's, like, a standstill, like, I'm a big man. I don't really even jump. I just, like, you know, have that range. And, like, that's really just about comfort, right? So extending that to the three-point line, it might not be as easy as someone that's, like, you know, a jump shooter, where you're using your legs is just basically how much further you're shooting the ball. Well, I mean— It's a bigger adjustment, I think. Yeah, I I think that he he is capable of doing it. I do. Okay. I'm I'm saying that
1: because, you know, if you had to choose, like, you know, which thing is going to be more viable or more realistic, like, one of those things is if LaMarcus wants to keep posting up as much as he has, uh, then DeRozan is going to have to be better at, like, slashing and cutting off of the ball. Mm-hmm. And I have more faith in Aldridge's ability to, like, be a pick-and-pop threat who can shoot threes right. than I do in DeRozan's ability to be, like, an off-ball slasher. Mm-hmm. Uh, he just—it's just never
0: happened for Demar, right? Right,
1: like, like he—he's shown flashes, but there's just like not like never been any kind of consistency to his off-ball game. Mm-hmm. Obviously, it's difficult because uh, defenses kind of have license to ignore him because he's not a spot-up shooting threat, right? But I, I also don't think he has really like made use of the space that he sometimes get when defenders sag off of him off the ball. Like, he doesn't really dart into space. He's not, like, the most aware player. He's sometimes just, like, kind of waiting around to get the ball back, like, on the perimeter and and go to work in isolation. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I would imagine that Popovich can help him with that in some ways, but at the same time, like, I just... I think the fact that he's grown so much as a playmaker is going to make it more viable for him to be, like, the trigger man mm-hmm. uh, playing a two-man game with Aldridge. And so, to me, it, it would make more sense to... to place more of a focus kind of on Aldridge being uh, like a a three-point shooting pick-and-pop threat like that to me is going to make for a better offense than like Aldridge posting up and DeRozan being being like the guy who's darting around screens or uh, slashing to the rim like and, and, and again because Aldridge isn't like an ace passer either right but like DeRozan I think improved
0: by leaps and bounds the past yeah, much last better year, as a so. I think they probably just stagger the minutes a little bit, right? And yeah. like they don't have them both on the floor all the time. And obviously they're both going to start, but you know they're going to you know move their minutes around a little bit. And I think that probably makes the most sense. Um, one guy that I have as a regression candidate is Blake Griffin, um, which I, I guess the regression kind of already started last year because. Um, Obviously, he had that midseason trade, and that really rocked his world and everything like that. But, I mean, like, his numbers in L.A. and his numbers in Detroit were pretty similar. Um, He shot a career low 43.8% from the field last year. Before that, he was consistent like, a 50% or, you know, close to a 49% guy. So he really dropped off a field goal percentage, and also his 3.0 point percentage is really never continuing to climb, right? Like, he took a lot more threes than ever before. Like, before this season, his career high was, you know, last season, which was 1.9 per game. Last year, he bumped that to 5.6, so that's a ton, but he only shot 34%, which is alright, but it's not, like, a game-changing kind of a number. And also, I just think that, like, he's not as able to score at the rim as he once was. He doesn't really quite have the same lift, and... The thing with Blake is that when he wants to get a bucket, he just kind of posts up in the middle of the floor. Maybe he runs a pick and roll, but then he doesn't roll. He just waits at the middle with his hands up and he brings the whole offense to a halt. And this is another piece that I wrote where, you know, I looked at sort of Dwayne Casey and sort of how he's going to translate what he did in Toronto over to Detroit. It's a really strange thing because Dwayne Casey primarily ran offense through his guards and it's not just Kyle Lowry and DeMar DeRozan. It's Gravis Vasquez, Lou Williams, it's Corey Joseph, it's Fred VanVleet, DeLon Wright. Um, he's going to transition from that to like a, a banged-up Reggie Jackson, who it's not very sh- clear if he's good anymore. Ish Smith, it's pretty clear he's not good. And quite honestly, Blake Griffin's going to be the point guard. And Blake Griffin as the main playmaker just hasn't been that impressive. It looks cool. But most of it is just him posting up and trying to be a bully in the pain and tossing up a low-percentage shot. And so I already think his his game has kind of already fallen off just a little bit, and that's partially why he got traded. But um, I don't really see the sudden revival next year where if he gets a full training camp with Dwayne Casey, he's going to go back to being you know, an f- efficient offensive player in terms of him scoring.
1: I think that makes sense. And, I mean, I, I kind of feel like the idea of Blake as like a playmaking four has always been a little bit more fanciful than the yeah. reality like he is obviously like a very capable ball handler and i think a really good passer yeah for sure but the, the jump shot has never quite come around i think the, the way that some people maybe hoped right. um and i also just think like without an elite point guard like chris paul basically always getting him the ball in the right spots mm-hmm. it, it seems like he got exposed a little bit and like it, it didn't lead to necessarily efficient offense right and the other thing you saw, and and to me, this is something that will maybe actually be smoother next year. But like after he got traded mid season, Andre Drummond, I feel like really fell off
0: offensively. Whereas, Drummond like, just didn't get the ball. Yeah, like, when Blake Griffin came off the floor. And it was Anthony Tolliver. Shout out, Anthony <laughs> Tolliver. All right, apparently my guy. Podcast favorite. Yeah, but when Anthony Tolliver came in the game, it was like, all right, now we can actually space the floor as a power forward. He's mm-hmm. not going to get the ball. He's just going to chill there and, and with his bald head and shoot a three. Whereas, like, and then Drummond would roll to the basket and there would be offense run for Drummond. But when Blake was there, they didn't run any sets for Drummond. They didn't work a pick and roll. Like, you know what I mean? Like, even that idea of, like, well, he can do that DeAndre Jordan pick and roll thing. Like they didn't have chemistry like that last year. A lot of them were just bad passes right. that didn't go anywhere.
1: And I also think that Drummond and
0: and DeAndre are not really similar players. Like
1: I feel like no. they kind of have a similar physical profile and like their stats look kind of similar because right. they both rebound the hell out of the ball and like they both only really shoot close to the basket and are poor at shooting free throws. Like right. so their numbers look similar. Similar. So people think they're similar players, but they're actually not because. First of all, I don't think Drummond is the same kind of vertical athlete that DeAndre is. No. And second of all, DeAndre is not... Like, Drummond actually showed that he had some playmaking chops yeah. last
0: year. he has handles. It's, and, it's weird that he, he, when he handles the ball, but he definitely yeah. can handle it a little bit. And
1: he improved as a passer a lot, too, last year. And like yeah. early in the season, before Blake got there... They were kind of using him as an offensive fulcrum. He was, right. you know, getting the ball at the elbow, running a lot of dribble handoff, right. um, and a lot of backdoor passes as well mm-hmm. on like baseline cuts, things like that. That were really sort of helping him ex- expand his game. Right. Um, and then Blake got there, and th- that kind of evaporated. Well, Blake
0: started doing all the stuff for him, but the yeah. thing is, it's a little bit awkward because it's one thing if you have like Tobias Harris as your power forward, um, and you're running post offense through Drummond, because the, the pain is going to be clear, right? right. It's not the same when Blake Griffin's running the offense and there's Drummond waiting in the dunker spot. There's no one... You can't cut baseline, right? Like, there's just going to be someone tagging him. So, I just think it's not a great fit. Like, it's not even Blake Griffin's fault necessarily. I think his game has fallen off a little bit. But just... I I don't really see that situation in in Detroit as something that's really going to be conducive to... um, It's just going to be below the talent level that's actually there. Because, like, those guys are individually nice players. It's just... I, I don't quite see the fit. So, um... You also want to talk about Chris Paul.
1: Yeah, I mean, I don't know if I wanted to talk about Chris Paul, but uh, I did pick him as, as another potential regression candidate just because the injury history is starting to get a little bit scary. Mm-hmm. He is heading into his age 34 season. He's got a lot of miles on his body. He's been doing this for quite a long time. And... I mean, to his credit, like his production has remained remarkably steady. Mm-hmm. He was outstanding last year once again, but he also only played fifty-eight games last year after playing sixty games the year before, um, and he got hurt again in the playoffs. He got hurt again in the playoffs, I think and that's like the third
0: straight year.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, look the the good thing is, like you know, he has James Harden there, so it's not like you know when he was with the Clippers where he kind of like had to take on this onerous. Playmaking role, you know, like he can play a little bit more with the ball out of his hands. They can't stagger his minutes. Like and and I might expect his minutes to be down like under or around 30 minutes a game next year. Mm-hmm. Like I feel like, you know, just to preserve his body, that's probably something that they should do. Um, so I think he's going to remain like an extremely efficient player who is gonna be like a top five point guard next year. I just think he's gonna start playing fewer minutes, and I mean he he's always going to have his craft, you know, his guile and mm-hmm. his incredible shooting ability to fall back on his incredible passing ability. Like all those things are not going to disappear, but as his sort of, you know, explosiveness continues to go away, like, um, and I think, you know, it's going to be more and more of a struggle for him to kind of get to the rim. And I just think, you know, inevitably eventually we're going to see a decline there. And I think that could start this year.
0: Yeah, for sure. I mean, The old Chris Paul, like we're talking like really early, you know, New Orleans Hornets, Chris Paul, like he was a terror just driving to the basket that pretty much like fell off um, ever since like 2010 when he hurt himself. And like since then, he's really like become like a like magician at, 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 you know, um, the perimeter game in terms of the jump shot and everything like that. Um, I think was really impressive last year was I didn't think Chris Paul could be that good of an isolation player that many times in a row. Like the Rockets last season played a lot of isolation basketball. Chris Paul isolated um, 5.1 times per game last season and scored, you know, a respectable 1.1 points per possession. Um, you know, he was incredible at not turning the ball over um, and somehow he got efficient shots. And I, I'm really impressed with how he did that. But I just think that, like, that's a big ass. Um, to have anybody do especially at his age where you know he's gonna be 33 when the season starts like it's not like he's not old necessarily but it's just like you got to always be really cognizant of um, how much mileage he's putting on his body and um, I don't know maybe it's not even just like uh, a dip in quality so much as a dip in p- the volume of production that he has because I agree man I mean I think the Rockets really need to think hard about you know how can we keep Chris Ball healthy because look Crystal was healthy. We might be talking about the Rockets as the reigning champions here, right? We really might be, but, you know, he got hurt, and it's sort of a predictable pattern at this point.
1: Yeah, and I think, I mean, if you look at, like, his free throw rate has been in decline for yeah. a while now. Last year was, like, the lowest of his career. Yeah. Um, you know, there there's a bit of cause and effect there because his three-point attempt rate also spiked, so he was definitely mm-hmm. playing a lot more on the perimeter right. than he had been in the past, but again i think that's by design right and like that's a way to sort of preserve his body i think that's the right approach at the end of the day it just might mean like you say like a dip in volume and overall productivity as a result and look again he is gonna turn 34 like this season so that inevitably just does happen at some point Mm -hmm. he's still a fantastic player but like i don't know i mean would you have said I, i think he was probably at least on like a per game basis yeah a top 10 player in the
0: league last year? Yeah, I'll him put him between 10 and 15, but there's a real argument to put him at 10. I mean, his advanced numbers are always going to look phenomenal. Yeah. Um, but I just felt like, yeah, I mean, like, his role is a little bit easier because I think he played a lot more against guard uh, bench lineups than mm-hmm. he ever did in his previous um, stops in the NBA. And so I think that helped inflate his numbers just a little bit. But, yeah, I mean, he was definitely up there. I mean, yeah. second so I, most important player on a 65-win team, like, yeah. for sure.
1: So I just think... I wouldn't expect that to happen this year. You know, like, I, I yeah. could see him being, like, a top 20 player again, but mm-hmm. I don't know if he's going to be, like, top 15 or top 10. And, you know, maybe that's just a result of, like, he didn't he didn't play enough minutes to make it into that conversation, uh, whether it's because he got hurt or because they're just managing his workload. Yeah. Um,
0: he's getting old, so that's what happens. That's what happens. Um, one guy who's not getting old, necessarily, is Nikola Jokic. And... Um, it's strange to talk about Nikola Jokic in this way because, I mean, first off, we've already offended the NBA stats community by talking bad about Chris Paul and, you know, he's like the most beloved, um, you know, all-star advanced stats guy ever. But Jokic is really coming for that crown because people really love Jokic. Um, if you are on NBA Twitter, you probably have seen the discourse on Jokic versus Anthony Towns versus whoever, and it, it, it's, it's kind of silly. And I think people pick on Jokic just a little bit just because they know that he's – such a darling to some people, but I think we have to be a little bit realistic with Jokic. Like, he clearly does a lot of great things, um, but last year wasn't really a step forward for him, right? Like, last year he shot 49% from the field. The year before that he shot 58% from the field. Part of that was because Jokic took a lot more threes, and he hit him on a really nice clip, 40%. But, I mean... It wasn't, like, this huge step in Jokic's game. Like, whatever he established in his breakout sophomore year, he pretty much just repeated that last season. And while he had a lot of great moments, my concern isn't about him offensively, because clearly he's got all the schools you would ever want out of your big man. Um, But the issue is just, like, I just don't think that any team with Jokic playing that many minutes is ever going to be good on defense. Last year, the Nuggets 25th in defensive rating, according to uh, basketball reference. And... That's not surprising when you look at the fact that Jokic is just not a guy who's going to defend. And so, look, they're going to have expectations to be in the playoffs. Um, Obviously, they missed the the playoffs by a game last year. came down to the last game of the season. But, um, you know, like if the Nuggets are going to be always really bad on defense because of Jokic and they're already a really good offensive club, then where's that progression going to come from? Where's that jump going to come from, right? Because I'm looking at... Jokic in sort of in relation to the team success. Like are is Denver gonna make the playoffs next year because Jokic takes a leap? Or is Jokic's defensive liabilities gonna hold this team back? Because we've seen in the modern NBA, teams with defensively suspect centers generally don't win nearly as much as you want. So, to be clear, you
1: don't think that Jokic is going to regress necessarily. You just don't think that he is going to take a step forward. Yeah, exactly.
0: Which is weird. But, I mean, also, I think there's an expectation that he's going to take a step forward, right? Like right. They max- so,
1: it almost becomes like a regression if he, doesn't, if he doesn't progress the way that people think.
0: Exactly. It's, it's about sort of falling short of expectations. And, look, you know, he got that maximum contract now. So, the expectations he, are going to be a little higher. he strike
1: me as a guy who's, like, going to get his money and then slack off. No, you know, for he sure. He seems super sure. competitive and, like, very committed to his craft. But... I get what you're saying and I think you know what would concern me is the things that he struggles with are not necessarily things that I see improving mm-hmm. because he's never going to be fleet of foot, right? Like he's not no. going to be super agile ever and you know he's never going to be a rim protector.
0: So he's not that eager to play defense either, you know what I mean? Like cuz cuz he's also a high usage offensive big. Yeah. So he's but not I, trying his best to make all these plays even though he already has a defensively you know, yeah. Prioritize coach in, in, in Malone,
1: but I don't think, I mean, to me, it's never been an eagerness thing, and maybe it just looks like he isn't because he is kind of more of like a loping, slow moving big. Yeah. He's a, um, you know, he's not. He doesn't look particularly energetic out there. No, he looks about
0: as energetic as a bag of Wonder Bread.
1: Like, <laughs> you, 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 yeah. So, I I don't know if that you know if that is for lack of trying there. That's just sort of like the way that he moves and the way that he plays, but. Um, I I guess I'm with you in one sense, which is that I don't I don't necessarily see like those defensive issues being mm-hmm. fixed. I think they can improve to a certain extent, and maybe effort plays into that. But I think
0: well, I mean, f- the, the a full the, season of Millsap also helps a little bit. For too. sure, for yeah. sure.
1: But, but like the physical uh, liabilities are are not things that I necessarily think are going to change. Yeah. But I do think there's a lot of room for him to grow offensively still because okay. I feel like want like he can be a little bit too passive sometimes sure um and it's i feel also like that energy
0: issue though like if he was more fit i think he would probably have more endurance maybe. right so
1: yeah i mean maybe you know a, a little conditioning could go a long way right like i think
0: um he's had a little bit of conditioning I, I, apparently <laughs> when he first came into the league he drank like a, a gallon of coke a day or something like that wow. it was and he looked like that but <laughs> he, yeah he's, he slimmed down a little bit too i think that helped him get that max contact mm-hmm. i think one of the other concerns I have is that, like, they sign Isaiah Thomas, and I'm not really sure how much Isaiah's going to play, but that's not helping him whatsoever. What, I think the best-case scenario for Jokic, a team built like for Jokic, is that, like, everyone around him is a solid, you know, defender, and you can sort of collectively make up for the gaps that, you know, he has in his game. Isaiah Thomas is just throwing gas on the fire, like... <laughs> Even if Isaiah comes back healthy, he's still going to be the worst defender in the right. league. And so if he, the point guards going to be coming at you, and your and your center can't block shots and really isn't willing to, I don't know if they're going to be able to
1: play those two guys at the same time.
0: Well, I mean, Jokic is going to play like thirty-five minutes, well, not thirty-five, thirty-two, thirty-three minutes a game. And even if Isaiah plays twenty, like it's an overlap there for sure. <laughs> yeah, because I mean, if the if you're the other
1: team, like how are you not just running those two guys through pick and oh, roll definitely. every single time I'm down I'm the definitely floor? Definitely doing that. Yeah, I think it's funny too because. So often people talk about how the Nuggets like need a point guard. They don't have a true point guard. But really, doesn't their offense function best if they don't have a pure point guard? Like, yeah. if the offense is running through Jokic? Because he's the best passer on the team. Yeah. And like he's a better passer than probably the majority of point guards in the NBA. Yeah. Like, they have good cutters on that team and good spot-up shooters. Like, that system has operated, you know, in a pretty healthy manner for the last couple of years. Mm-hmm. And I almost think like having a point guard like Isaiah Thomas, who can kind of dominate the ball a little bit, and you know is thereby going to take the ball out of Jokic's hands, is not necessarily going to be healthy for their offense.
0: Yeah, I, I don't. I, I guess I could really just circles down. I have no idea why Isaiah Thomas signed there, but um, I guess because Mike I've, Malone believed in him, man. He was the first person
1: to ah, uh, to love him for who he was, as he told. Uh, our friend Joseph Cicharo.
0: Yeah, look, all those quotes are a little bit sad, and uh, I hope things work out for him really. I really do. But um, yeah, I don't know, man. The, the Jokic, I think it's really just about expectation. I don't really think his production is going to fall off that much. But um, yeah, I, I, don't, I don't really know if there's another level in his game that he can make unless he comes back and somehow changes as a defender. But I just think as of right now, expectations are very quickly going to surpass what uh, he actually brings to the court. Okay, that does it for the first half of the show. The second half, I'm going to talk to Jessica Sharro about, um, you know, his experience following Lance Stevenson around and sort of the behind-the-scenes look at um, the Score X series. Um, the first one with Lance Stevenson. Uh, it's called Misunderstood. Go check it out. It's on YouTube. It's on Twitter. It's on Instagram. Wherever. Um, it's on the Score app, which of course you should download. Um, and really check it out. It, it's it's a it's a really insightful series. And um, you know he. Talks a lot about sort of his experiences growing up, sort of what his community means to him, and also just about playing with the Lakers for the upcoming season because that's going to be a very interesting year. So after the break, uh, I'm going to chat with uh, Joe Scorciaro about Lance Stevenson. Welcome back to the second half of Pound the Rock. Joined now by the other co-host, Jessica Sharo. Cash, how you doing? What's going on? Man? Let's talk about uh your worldly experiences. Traveling to <laughs> traveling to Brooklyn, meeting <laughs> up with Lance Stevenson for uh the Score X series. First off, congratulations to you, um, and also Ash and Brandon for um you know, coming through with that project. I th- I thought it was really well done and um you know for anyone who hasn't checked it out already, uh please do so. It's on the score app. Find it on YouTube. I think it's a couple clips floating around on Twitter and uh, Instagram, and you know it, it's pretty much spread over all of the internet. So um, let me just ask you first off, like, what was that experience like hanging out with Lance Stevenson for a week, uh, for a weekend, and um, you know, what was he like behind the scenes?
2: Well, it's kind of surreal, man. I mean, uh, you know, for myself, uh, for Ash Rahimi, who's our uh, who works in social media and marketing for us and handles our Instagram and for Brandon Jordan as well, who was our videographer and editor. I think for all of us, it was the first time we've done something like that. You know, even for myself, I've got experience talking to players and, you know, hanging around locker rooms and arenas. But, you know, it's a very limited kind of access. Even if you do get a one-on-one with someone, you know, there there might be uh, a PR manager around or there's just other players around. There's some chaos around you. It's It's not that exclusive. And this was the first time that we basically had – you know, uh, for for the most part, unlimited access to a player for a weekend, and uh, so that part of it was kind of surreal. And uh, yeah, it was it was awesome. I mean, we we went to Lance's camps that he runs for uh, for kids in in various areas of Brooklyn. So we went to one on Saturday. I believe we went to uh, to a camp in Manhattan and, and watched him do his thing with the kids there. And then on the Sunday. He and uh, actually Isaiah Whitehead, if you remember, also a a Brooklynite, uh, former NBA player. He's technically a free agent right now. Uh, They co-hosted a camp on the Sunday um, for kids from Coney Island, which is where they're both from. And then it actually ended with uh, a game between kids from the neighborhood and uh, members of the NYPD. So we kind of covered that, which was cool. And then uh, we also went to a, Lance's workout on the Saturday night. Him and Isaiah had a workout, just, you know, staying sharp in the summer. It was cool to see that type of thing you kind of see, you know, on Instagram, Twitter throughout the summer of guys working out in the offseason. We got to be on the floor in the gym for that, sat down with Lance there. Uh, on the Saturday, we also went to lunch with him and his family, um, and that was uh, that was an experience in its own right, you know. Like one, I think he had four or five tables, in, uh, in this place called Seaport Buffet. It's an all-you-can-eat Chinese restaurant in in Coney Island. And uh, one of the tables was me, Ash, Brandon, Lance, his parents, and uh, his manager. So that was that was pretty funny. Um, so yeah, just like like I said, just kind of unparalleled access. Um, access to a player for a whole weekend even on the sunday after his camp with isaiah after that game ended between the the kids and the cops lance ended up uh we walked with him Mm -hmm. from the outdoor court to his favorite deli (laughs) that he used to go to when he was a kid and you know a couple people in his entourage were kind of asking if he was going to drive and he's like nah i'm just going to walk and so he has this like 15 minute walk from the court to the deli and on the way just a bunch of honestly just locals from brooklyn coming out of the woodworks you know people coming out of shops recognizing him seeing him and some of them were just fans but there's a lot of people it was interesting to see how ingrained in brooklyn he still is because in coney island specifically because people come out of shops apartments you know what have you barber shops mm-hmm. as lance is walking through the area and it's people that legitimately know him you know an aau coach comes out uh, someone comes out of a a shop and tells him to say hi to his dad because he hasn't seen him in a few months just like things like that Uh, and it really kind of hits home how ingrained he remained in the neighborhood even though he made it out
0: yeah for sure um i feel like when you watch the video like um you know obviously it's a sliver of sort of like all the footage you guys got but um, it really does communicate like sort of the intimate sort of atmosphere in terms of just like um He takes you back through his old neighborhood. He takes you back through sort of what made him. Um, You know, he talked a lot about um, his dad and uh, how he, you know, woke him up every morning to run uh, on the beaches and run the stairs at 5 a.m. in the morning. And, um, yeah, I mean, just how big of an influence was his his dad to him? Because I I didn't know that part about his story, that he, you know, he had a dad that kept him so committed um, to sort of, you know, making sure that he got to the highest level of the NBA.
2: Yeah, he uh, he talked about his dad a lot, you know, in our two days with him and he really credited his dad for kind of keeping him uh, keeping him in check. Um, You know, he talked about the fact that, um, you know, the the fame, the level of fame that he had as a high school player, Mm -hmm. um, you know, and kind of feeling like he was the king of the castle in a lot of ways and you know looking at rankings and seeing his name on the top and being on the cover of new york magazines you know it kind of brings like a a level of invincibility around you and he said it it was his dad that kind of kept him in check and told him when he wasn't doing something right and had to take certain things away from him and make sure he was still focusing on basketball and not just focusing on living the life of a baller um and and yeah he you know he was really candid about it he talked about the fact that it was rare for people you know he went to lincoln high school and he talked about how not a lot of you know uh guys at that school or at least you know in his friends group not a lot of them had both parents in the picture and so for him uh, he really thought that his dad being in the picture and his dad kind of keeping him in check was huge for him and he also just talked about the work ethic that his dad instilled in him and i think you know i think this is another thing that i guess access to a player maybe changes your opinion a little bit on them is that lance is kind of one of those guys you know you think of him he's in that kind of like nick young javel mcgee uh and and you know what i'm talking about right the kind of you see them as kind of like more jokers mm-hmm. and and kind of more personalities than basketball players and so when you think of players like that i think you naturally assume that they don't maybe have the work ethic or they don't you know, they're not going as hard in the off season as the stars and, and the guys you see on Instagram and, you know, this and that. But then you see it up close and, and you see him going like game speed in a summer workout. And he's talking about how the work that his dad put him through, the workouts that his dad put him through. And, you know, the 5 a.m. runs on the stairs in their project building or in, on the beach in Coney Island, like how all these things molded him. And, you know, there's this great part where he said to us like that. That's why it gets frustrating sometimes when he sees that, like, other players that he feels he's worked harder than, you know, or maybe getting more opportunities in him, because he sees it as, like, man, like, they... He doesn't think they went through what he went through with his dad when it comes to, like, the level of work he put in. Uh, so, yeah, no, he definitely, you know, praises his father for, for I think, you know, keeping him on a path that led to him staying in the league, you know, for however long it's been now, seven, eight years, and and just even touching on the the running the stairs in one of the buildings he lived in in Coney Island um, you know you talk about like the motivation for for a kid to want to get out of a certain area of a certain situation Lance told us that you know you wouldn't have seen this in the actual in the actual video but Lance told us that um you know obviously it was not a great area not a great building and he came up in and he talked about how when his dad would wake him up at 5 a.m to run the stairs and he was a 12 year old running those stairs in the apartment building he was running by you know drug addicts like literally shooting up in the stairwell and uh you know making deals in the stairwell he told a couple stories about how there was people in the stairwell that were so high that even though they lived in the building and, you know, their unit was probably only a few steps away, they just couldn't put two and two together and they'd literally defecate in the stairs. Oh, God. While, while a 12 year old Lance is running the stairs, you know, right. and, and his dad's waiting at either the top or at the bottom. And yeah, he talked about seeing those t- kinds of things and just how it fueled this hunger in him to, you know, whether it was basketball or whatever, to just make it out of that neighborhood.
0: Yeah, for sure. And, um, I mean, he's talked about sort of, you know, his approach and sort of his aggression towards the game and sort of that's kind of what um, the Lakers are looking for when they sign him. I mean, it took him by surprise. He didn't even think LeBron was going to go to Los Angeles. He thought LeBron was going to stay in Cleveland. Yeah. Um, but, you know, once LeBron got over there and, like, you know, that same day, Magic gives him a phone call and says, you know, you know we want you on <laughs> the Lakers. You know, LeBron wants you in the Lakers. Yeah. And it took him by surprise. But, I mean – I guess it kind of makes sense, right? It's it's almost like it, it harkens back to like when Kobe, you would get guys like Metal World Peace who you know yeah. defended him really tough when he was on the Rockets, and um, Matt Barnes who defended him yeah. really tough, you know, wherever he went—Orlando, Phoenix, Steve wherever. Blake. Steve Blake, yeah, same thing, right? It, it's kind of it's kind of that same deal. Like, are we are, is Lance going to be more of that kind of player in terms of just like I'm going to make my I'm going to keep my enemies close or? Is it going to be more like when LeBron got JR Smith and it's sort of just like a reclamation project and it'll be hit or miss?
2: Yeah, I, man, I feel like it might be a little column A, a little column B. Yeah, Like, you know, J.R., for example, was, you know, even for all of his flaws and his kind of goofball antics, like he was a great three-point shooter. And obviously you put that around LeBron and, and it's going to thrive. And that's why J.R., Really, you know, other than I think this past year, but the first, uh, first while he was with LeBron was quietly one of the most consistent three point shooters in the league. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I guess with Lance, the one thing you can look at is maybe his playmaking ability, um, you know, kind of fits well around LeBron if he can create some space and some lanes for LeBron just by himself kind of, uh, penetrating and finding other players. But, you know, Lance isn't the best shooter, um, so I, I don't know if he's going to thrive the same way that maybe a JR. thrives beside LeBron, but I think it's maybe a little more column A in what you were talking about with Kobe, you know, when it was kind of like keep your enemies close. I think, I think if anything LeBron respects the fact that Lance has a, a competitive fire that, yeah. that maybe compares to his and, and a, you know, a real will to win. And he probably figures it's, you know, better not having this guy. On the other end in the playoffs and having to deal with everything he brings to the table, so why not have him on your side?
0: Yeah, for sure. And I think, like LeBron has this respect for him, but also like people don't really know that Lance has this respect for LeBron because they've seen like the antics and whatever. And Lance is clearly a very competitive guy. Uh, you know, um, you know, you and I play soccer together. We kind of know. Um, that, that kind of competitive fire that could come out of uh, pretty much both of us really here. But, I mean, Lance has that same kind of, you know, uh, style where, you know, he's, he's going to do crazy stuff, basically, to try to disrupt LeBron in the heat of the moment. But he has a lot of respect for LeBron. And, um, you know, it, I, think, I think that was earned by the fact that LeBron wasn't really that phased by all the stuff that Lance was doing to him
2: yeah I mean that was that was another fascinating conversation we had of them as, as you know talking about and it kind of went viral after a bunch of other places picked it up talking about the famous ear blow and that kind of led to a conversation about how you know Lance was telling us all he was trying to do is get him off his game you know get him unfocused, do something to get in his head and you know he talked about how in not so many words he basically said that it, in a way it kind of backfired because you know, the whole reason he was doing these things was to frustrate LeBron, right? Now Lance never fully came out and said, he's a better player than me, but it, you know, I think Lance does actually have the self-awareness to know that LeBron is the best player in the world. So from Lance's perspective, he's looking at it like, all right, I'm not going to beat this guy from a basketball perspective. My hope is, you know, my only hope is kind of getting him in his head and getting him off his game. And yet, all of these things like nothing faced LeBron he talked about that That he's, you know, he mentions that this past season was actually the first year he thinks he got to LeBron mm-hmm. because LeBron started talking back pushing him asking him what was wrong with him he's tired of this ish um, but he said up until this year LeBron never said a single word to him on the court never reacted never talked trash to him never like nothing and he talked about how frustrating that was mm-hmm. from his perspective, because he was devoting so much energy just to, you know, see a crack in LeBron's armor, just to frustrate him even a little bit. And he doesn't think it worked. And yeah, he just talked about how you know he's going and trying to frustrate LeBron, and in the end, all he's doing is frustrating himself because it's not working. Um, and yeah, and then he just talked in general about how much he kind of admires the player, the cerebral player that LeBron is, especially. Um, there was a great moment when he was talking about how he watches LeBron, you know, in press conferences rattle off like 30 plays in a row and, you know, tell tell reporters everything that happened over the course of a quarter. And then Lance kind of makes a joke where he says, you know, I don't even remember what happened four possessions ago. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, no, you can, you can tell when he talks about him, he really does admire him. And I even asked him at one point if he would have been willing to admit this admiration, you know, had he not joined up with him. And he just kind of laughed and didn't answer the question. But, yeah, I think, you know, I think it's natural that he would, probably wouldn't have told us how he really felt about LeBron if he still had to compete with him. Mm-hmm. But now that they're teammates and I guess he doesn't, you know, feel the need to uh to have that chip on his shoulder with LeBron anymore. Yeah, his, his admiration really came out and, and again it was kind of surprising to hear him talk like that about him.
0: Yeah, for sure. And um you know going back to the some of the more personal side. Like I think that really came through. Like his personality. Like when you see him, you know, at the charity game, you know, talking to people and stuff like that, like in his own element, like he's really comfortable. And like I think we know, right, that there's this goofy side to Lance. Like the, the famous, the infamous Lance gif where he just pops out of nowhere because it's like the cameras fixed on like Derek Fisher and all of a sudden Lance pops up or like that moment where I think Lance like got uh, – he was trying to draw a foul against the Cavs and then he doesn't get the call and he just lies on the court and he's like basically playing dead. Like there's definitely this light side of heart about Lance, right? And, and you were telling me about how, you know, you was talking about him griping about 2K and things like that. Like just, just everyday no. sort of, you know – uh, little struggles that you know he kind of brings like a comedic side to it he really is a lighthearted guy
2: yeah very much so man there was you know there was plenty of points over the course of the weekend where you almost i mean don't get me wrong we'd never forgot that we were um you know doing this with an nba player but there was a, a lot of moments where you could have forgotten mm-hmm. that you were dealing with you know a celebrity Uh, you know, when we were eating at the restaurant and everyone else was kind of leaving and finding out and Lance was still there talking to us about different things and he's just kind of sitting there eating some crab legs and and the topic of 2K comes up and he tells us that he doesn't think that um, they make Lance Stevenson good enough in the game. So while other players are usually playing as themselves or their own teams, Lance (laughs) Lance just creates his own player. (laughs) and, like, (laughs) puts his own face on him so it still looks like Lance (laughs) Stevenson. But he, like, boosts all the ratings and, you know, tries to make his player as good as possible because the real Lance Stevenson in the game isn't up to Lance's real standards. So he creates Uh, his player and then, I guess, does, like, my career mode and, and, and plays online. And then he talked about how he ends up making friends with just random people online that are NBA fans. And, you know, when it eventually comes up that he's Lance Stevenson... First of all, he talks about how he ends up like having to ask these guys for help. Like if someone beats him online, he'll end up asking them for pointers, for help, asking them how he how they made their player so good. And then, uh, you know, he eventually tries to tell them that it's Lance Stevenson. They don't believe him. He ends up having to go on a webcam to prove to them that it is Lance Stevenson. Whoa. And then, yeah, he says he ends up like striking up a friendship with these random fans that he meets online through 2K. And then if they end up living... In or close to NBA cities, he will end up getting them tickets for them and their whole family to come uh, come through when Lance rolls through that city with his team. Yeah,
0: no, for sure, man. Lance is endlessly fascinating as a yeah. as a person. Um, all right, well, yo, great uh, great job with the series. And again, you know, check it out on YouTube, uh, the Score app, um, Instagram, Twitter, you know, wherever. Basically, it, it'll be there. You'll find it. Um, search Lance Stevenson, the Score, uh, misunderstood. And uh, yo, just lastly, like, are we going to see more of the series? Like, we're going to see more of the score X. Like, you know, any other people that uh, we might be talking to in the upcoming uh, weeks and months?
2: Yeah, I mean, uh, the plan is definitely for us to do this again and, and hopefully turn it into a legitimate series. And I think um, the way people have reacted to. The, the first episode here with Lance is, is definitely encouraging. And I, yeah, the, the plan is to go forward with it and try to do with, you know, more players and more personalities too not just players. No, no specifics yet in the pipeline, but definitely something, uh, definitely something we're working on. All right. Watch out for that. Just, um, just, uh, just one more behind the scenes story I'll tell oh, yeah, before, yeah. before we go is uh, just talking about Lance kind of being a man of the people. And uh, the Saturday night after we, Him and Isaiah Whitehead worked out very late on a Saturday night in an area of Brooklyn called East Flatbush. Uh, Now, I'm not trying to disparage any of our listeners that might be from East Flatbush, Brooklyn, but in short, it is a tough neighborhood. It's a hard neighborhood, and it's a very intimidating neighborhood if you're not from there. And uh, we learned that pretty quickly while we were waiting outside this uh, Nazareth High School for Lance and Isaiah to show up. But anyway... They finish their workout, and it's probably about 11 p.m. on a Saturday night. It's dark, and, you know, in this neighborhood we're not used to, and, again, is very intimidating. And uh, Lance and his uh, crew are kind of rolling out, and, and the three of us, myself, Ash, and Brandon, are waiting for an Uber. So the Uber tells us that it's uh, maybe like 100 meters down the road. And, you know, if you've ever been to New York, there it's mostly one-way streets. So a car can be, say, 100 meters away, but if it's on like the opposite one-way street to actually get to you would maybe take five minutes of driving because it would have to go in a circle so we figure all right we don't want to wait we're just gonna walk to this uber and lance notices us like walking away and you know famously kind of says to us so, where are y'all going and then we tell him we're, we're just walking to this uber and we can tell he's got kind of like this look of concern on his face and we're like yeah like everything all right and he's not really answering us. He's like, you guys are going to walk to this Uber? We're like, yeah, it's, it says it's only 100 meters away. And he pauses again. He looks at us and like completely like deadpan, like no, wasn't joking. No smirk on his face. Just looks at us. Complete seriousness and is like, y'all in the hood, man. Like you're not walking to that car. So Lance basically demands that we tell the Uber driver to suck it up and you know drive the circle and take however long he has to take and while lance's boys all kind of want to go because they had plans that night lance waits with us until the uber completes its circle and gets to us about seven minutes later and it ended up giving us an opportunity to talk to him like a little more that night but yeah it was just kind of like a an interesting the joke in our group was that he really only did it because he didn't want us to uh to get our camera stolen with all the footage that he wanted people to see. I mean. But but it was, nonetheless, it was, it was pretty impressive. That uh, And he even did joke about the fact that, you know, um, we were three guys that probably like, people would just easily know weren't from the neighborhood walking around with a camera. Uh, and he was adamant that we were not going to make it to this Uber car that was only 100 meters away. Um, and he told us, he didn't think he, that we were going to be harmed but he also told us that he didn't think we would make to that car keeping all of our belongings <laughs> um, and, and so yeah so Lance waited with us yeah. uh, on the steps of Nazareth High School until <laughs> until the Uber made it
0: well alright um, yeah I mean look listen you'll see that and you'll see more at uh, in the, uh, the score act series again I've, I've already plugged it like four times in this podcast but seriously it's, it's really good go watch it Cash, uh, congrats again to you and your crew. Um, for thanks, making man, that happen. It. and, uh, as for pound the rock, you know, you can find us support the show, please, please do so. We're going to run throughout the summer. We already have been, um, topics are getting quite thin, quite thin, but we'll find some way to come up with more content next week. And, uh, as thanks always, to Lance
2: Stevenson for letting us kill 20 minutes of this podcast. Yo,
0: seriously, man. Um, and yeah, I mean, support the show is always, you know, review, subscribe, iTunes, SoundCloud, wherever.